right. Welcome back. Good afternoon. I'm here live in the podcast studio today with Miss Anna V. We're here doing the 40 Years to Freedom podcast. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to Reno. I know you've been here before, but it's just nice to see you in person. I know. It's great when we're here in the same place. Well, today we have a crazy uh, snow flurries in April. Yeah. And the wind is crazy, but it was a nice weekend. At least you were here some, was for some really nice weather this weekend. Yep. First and trip downtown. Yes. <laughs> downtown Reno. That's a that's a diamond in the rough. <laughs> yeah. Well, it really wasn't that big of a of a deal coming from Georgia and we have Atlanta not too far away. Yeah. And I've been to Memphis and we were downtown Memphis and that was a lot scarier than I think <laughs> that downtown Reno will ever be. So. Actually, though, we had so much fun in Reno. We did. Another fun trip. Another fun trip. We'll have to podcast about that one day, but we kind of have an agenda today and it's going to lead us. It's going to be a two part series and it's going to lead us into making sure that our listeners understand why we came out with a podcast like this, why I wanted to do a podcast like this, um, what led me to the whole 40 years to freedom memento, I guess you could say, um, and where we are today with our lives. Yeah. And, you know, everyone has their own journey and their own story on how they get to the same place. And it's really empowering when we share those. And then all the times that we felt alone, realize we really weren't alone. And there's just empowerment when we share our story to help other people get through their own journey. Most definitely. And I always think like, because I've told my story to Everybody who knows me at this point in my life has heard my story, my life story, my gr- me growing up, all my trials and tribulations that I had when I was a teenager. Um, and I can't believe how many times that people have said that they had something similar. You think that you're the only one. Yeah. You think that that's only happened to you or certain things have only happened to you and it's unheard of with other families or friends or whatever it is. Well, guilt, shame, embarrassment, all those things mm-hmm. make you feel alone. Absolutely. And then you have, um, you don't want to face it yourself. And so you stay in that loneliness and you just get further and further away from people. Yeah. Well, the more I started talking about this, and it probably wasn't until I was in my late 20s about my past, um, I think even my husband didn't know a lot about my past until years into our marriage because you don't. I mean, it's sometimes it's embarrassing. Sometimes I don't I don't need people to judge me for where I've been or my family for where we've been and the things that we've all done. Well, I think the self-guilt and, and self-judgment is the worst of all because once you've um, gone through something and you have dealt with it and you've buried it, who wants to revisit that place? You know, so you don't want to spiral out of control emotionally or um, just go back into that darkness because when when you find your self-love and your positive self-image, you really have to hold on to it because it's like everything in the world is fighting against you having a positive opinion of yourself. Yeah. I don't think I ever really buried my past. Um, I would say there's definitely not proud moments, Mm -hmm. but everything that's happened to me, I feel like. I always say everything happens for a reason. I feel like I went through this to build me to be the person I am today. I had to be strong at far too young of an age. I had to do things and be put in situations that I should have never have been in, but it made me wiser. Mm -hmm. It made me realize that um, not everybody's trustworthy. It made me really focus on certain things and dreams that I wanted to make sure that I accomplished before those could diminish and be gone. 
Yeah, and, and I also think sharing your story for people that are like in the midst of the storm in the moment is such an encouragement for them to make the positive decision to move forward, Absolutely. right? Because you could have made more bad decisions, right, where you wouldn't have had the same outcome. Yeah. And you wouldn't have necessarily learned from those situations because you can make bad decisions that keep you in those states, right? So yeah. by sharing and having the openness, um, hopefully that is motivation to help others make those good decisions that are sometimes really hard to face. Absolutely. And realize that not everybody's alone in these, you know, right. In this thing we called life. <laughs> life. So <laughs> I know like with JC and you know, she's 19 and I tell her, I'm like, kiddo, reality is every single morning that you get up and you put your feet on the ground, life is there to kick you in the ass. Absolutely. So you just have to, you know, we talk about our humble, grateful heart, right? That if we keep that attitude, we make the best decision we can with the knowledge we have in the moment. And then, you know, when you look back, you can be proud of how you handled things and how you um, kind of navigated away from some destructive decisions that you could have made, even when you didn't necessarily understand the consequences. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Jim, let's get started. I'm so Oh boy. I'm ready. It's like kind of shaky about this, but oh. I've told the story to a hundred times before to my closest friends, and now here I am telling it to you and everybody listening, which is gonna be crazy. And the guys all in the office, I know they're all gonna hear this and I don't know. We'll just get on with it. So, um, my name is Jennifer and I was born and raised in Los Angeles, California. Um had a pretty good childhood growing up um, at a young age. And my family, we had a nice house. We did nice things, tight-knit family. We did everything together. And then my sister, she lived with us. She was 10 years older than me. And when she left for college, everything kind of changed. So I was seven then. And all of a sudden I was on my own because both my parents, they worked full-time all the time, five, six days a week. And I was seven, eight years old at home by myself. We lived on the top of a canyon in Southern California. So no, I didn't have a lot of friends in our neighborhood. It was kind of hard to get places because mm -hmm. you're a kid. You don't have a car, vehicle, things like that. So um, just made the best of it, the best I possibly could. I needed to make money any way I could. So I started a babysitting because back when I was a kid, we had the books, the Babysitter's Clubs. Oh, Remember yeah. those books? So I started a babysitter club because I was the only girl in my neighborhood and it was full of little boys and all the parents needed me to babysit. And I was booked every single night making tons of money at far too young of an age, <laughs> which is crazy. So I got my girlfriends together and we started this little club and I was a little entrepreneur, I guess you would say 10 with my babysitting club and trying to make as much money as I possibly could. And that's when things kind of started to change. So I was 10 when, um, and I didn't realize this yet, but from the stories I heard uh, from my family and um, from our family friends, that's when my dad became a drug addict. So my dad went down a really dark path and um, it just got progressively worse the older we got, well, the older I got. Well, I guess everybody was getting older. <laughs> so, um, it started with cocaine. I mean, it was the 80s, and it was in Los Angeles. It was a big part of a lot of what was going on down there. And um, it progressively got worse to the point where my dad ended up going on disability. And once he went on disability, everything changed. 
and to the point where he had far more time to invest in this new habit. Mm-hmm. And that new habit turned into a bigger habit and um, it became, he became addicted to methamphetamines. And that was the end of my family life. It changed so fast. People talk about all the time how drugs, you know, break up families, ruin things, ruin your home, ruin your situations. And it definitely went that way for us. So um, my dad, and again, I was still too young to realize what was happening. Right. He'd just be gone every now and then. So like he'd be gone a night. And then a couple months later, he'd be gone a weekend. Right. And then a few months later, he'd be gone three days. And it just progressively got worse. Do you remember like how your mom handled that situation? So at that point, my parents both had separated. Um, even though we were all in the same house, my mom moved into my sister's bedroom. And they barely spoke to each other. So it was this weird, it was like my parents were divorced because they didn't do anything together. They didn't talk to each other. I either went with my dad for the day or I went with my mom for the day, depending on what day of the week it was. Mm -hmm. Um, We didn't do meals together anymore. Everything changed. Did she paint like her life was perfect and she like created this kind of bubble for you or did it just wreck her then? It didn't wreck her at all. Um, I think that that's when she started focusing more on work and being Mm -hmm. less at home. So everything was in denial. My mom, and I'm going to talk about this a lot today, is my mom was in denial for a long time about a lot of things. So in everybody else's eyes in my family, they, it was this picture perfect family that we had life. Like it was our picture perfect life and it was all BS. Like it was so much BS. Yeah. And we talk about that too. Like you go and you meet your friends at the at the ballpark or your kids are spending the night with other people. And it's like, do you really know what life is like behind closed doors? No, you never do. You no. really never do. And my family put on a great front. Like we put on a great front. When we had to be all three of us together, nobody would have known anything mm-hmm. was going on. So progressively, this all gets worse. Uh, my parents lost their house. And once they started going into that whole process of the bank taking over the house is when my dad just spiraled downhill. And all of a sudden he was gone for three weeks. He was gone for three weeks. And in those three weeks, it was Thanksgiving. So we all went to my grandma's house. So that was always Thanksgiving was at my grandma's house. We all go to my grandma's house for Thanksgiving. And there's this big family conversation about our household, Mm -hmm. my mom, me, my mom, and my dad, and what we were going to do. And my family had all decided that we were all moving out. We were going to get our own place, do it over a weekend, but we couldn't do this anymore. We were losing our home anyways, so it wasn't like we still had a place to stay. But we all made this decision without my dad. So we come back. How old were you at this? At this time, I'm 15. Okay. So I'm 15. So you're fully aware of what's going on. I definitely understand what's going on at this point. So um, we, me and my mom come back. We start packing. My dad shows up. Of course, everything was never his fault. And his car broke down. And this happened. And this happened. And he was always trying to hold on to the thought of us staying together as a family. But... My mom most definitely did not live that lifestyle that he was living. And I was a teenager. Like, Mm -hmm. I was a teenager. I wasn't about hanging out with a bunch of bikers or whatever his crowd was down there. So we move into a house. And my dad thought that that was the end of our relationship. Now, you have to 
think I grew up a daddy's girl. Like it was me and my dad for everything. We did everything together. I was the fishing kid. I would always go out with my uncles and my dad and do all the guy stuff because I was kind of in this weird age of all my cousins and my sisters and brothers. So I was always with the guys. I never wanted to hang out with the girls in the kitchen or doing all the shopping, things like that. And um, my dad thought that that was the end of us. Well, it wasn't. It definitely wasn't. My dad was still my best friend. I understood he had problems, but he was still, he still loved me. Yeah. And and when you're a kid like that, like you still can't understand what the big picture is because your love is just bigger than everything else. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so how was that? Like, how was that going to school and you know struggling so, with all this disruption in your personal life it was it was rough and um growing up in la it's not like i had the safest environments all the time yeah because i can't fathom like i cannot fathom yeah. that being your environment at that age because i literally lived in the most perfect rural community where and we were still like full-time farming and dairies and all this stuff and so it was probably way more wholesome where i grew up so like you being in just hardcore reality from oh, day one. Most definitely. Yeah. And it was, and the neighborhood that my mom and I moved to was um, four blocks away, was one of the biggest like gang territories in the entire valley. And I had to walk through it all the time. And I went to high school with all the gangbangers, and the girls were so mean to me. And it wasn't that I was tough, I wasn't tough yet. I hadn't, I hadn't had to be tough yet. And they would like push you in the hallway. And if you accidentally ran into one, they were like gonna cut you in the hallway. And it was like threats after threats after threats. And it was terrifying, like it was terrifying. But I found a little community and it was probably a community I should have stayed away from. But quickly they became my closest friends. And when I was 15, I had my first real boyfriend. And I'm not gonna say his name, but um, I thought the world of him. Like I was instantly in love. I met him when I was 13 for the first time. I fell in love with him then. We didn't start dating until I was 15 and I was head over heels over this boy. Well, this boy came from 10 times worse of a, worse of a situation than I had ever imagined or I could have ever been through. Mm-hmm. And um, he turned my life upside down. Not that it wasn't already crazy or anything like that, but he definitely brought me right into a world that I didn't really know anything about except for what I had experienced with my dad. And instantly, I became an addict. I became an addict at 15 years old. I was addicted to methamphetamines at 15. My boyfriend, he lived with me in my house with my mom at 15. And it wasn't like he was older, he was the same age. But he brought this rowdiness and this craziness and this madness into our little safe place that me and my mom had just created. And it wasn't that my mom didn't stop any of it from happening. For some reason, she felt safe with him being there because of where we lived and what we were going through. And she had this huge heart for him as well. Well, Was she aware of the usage? She wasn't, but again, this is when we go back to her being in complete denial. Right. She was always in denial about our life. Now, at this point, I had stopped going to high school. My high school was three blocks away from my house. My mom would get up in the morning, go to work, and she'd be gone by 7 a.m., and she wouldn't come home to 7 p.m. 
my school didn't have my home phone number. So now like if my kids miss a period, I get a phone call, right? right. It's been like that forever. But they didn't have a home phone for me anymore because it was attached to my dad's house, which is now gone. So they had no way of contacting my parents if I wasn't going to school. Well, my mom would get up and go to work and I would pretend like I would was getting ready for school and she would leave and I'd just go back to bed. And I had a pool in my backyard and my house was like the party house. So everybody would end up coming to my house all day long, hanging out by the pool, doing things we shouldn't have been doing at far too young of an age. Well, that whole life, drugs drugs are crazy and everybody's different on drugs. But um, my boyfriend started becoming abusive. And again, I'm 15, mm-hmm. 15 years old and he lives with me. It started with his friends hitting on me. Like that was like the first time it happened. His friends were flirting with me and telling him things that they were gonna steal me away from him. And somehow that was my fault, Mm -hmm. even though that was never the case. And it would turn it from a smack to a couple smacks to a punch. And then it just kept getting worse and worse. And we were falling deeper and deeper into this dark hole that Nobody should have to go through, but a 15-year-old shouldn't be going through it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I kept thinking things were going to change. My dad, who was still very much an addict, was trying to find ways to um, find this bond between the two of us, and he got wrapped up in it with us. So now I have an abusive boyfriend. I'm a drug addict. My dad's a drug addict, and now I'm doing drugs with my dad. And he's enabling this situation. Yeah. And here he's just trying to, again, people are going to judge and be like, that was your father. He should have been, absolutely, he should have been a father. But he was also trying to create a bond with the daughter who he thought he had lost when his wife left him with her. So he was trying to create any sort of bond. And all of a sudden now my dad was the cool dad because he could do everything for us. He had a car. He had money. He had the abilities to do all these things for us. Well, the abuse would get worse. The... Drug usage definitely got worse. And so how how at this age are you hiding this type of abuse? So it wasn't like I had black eyes or broken bones, Um, maybe some bruises on my legs, um, a couple on my arms sometimes. But it was more of mental abuse that he would be doing the majority of the time. And then when he got pushed over the edge is when I'd get a slap or a sock yeah. or something like that. Um, I remember there was a time, um, there was one point where I ran away from home and um, I ended up following my boyfriend to this drug house and I had been up for like two days and I had finally fallen asleep in one of these girls, this girl's bedroom and I woke up with him on top of me strangling me. And slapping me in the face as much as he possibly could. And I was like, what? I don't understand what's happening. And again, it was one of the guys that he knew said, I'm going to go wake your girlfriend up and I'm going to steal her from you. I'm going to move her in with me, which again had nothing to do with me. But he had this delusion that it was actually happening. How old are you right now? We're fi- I'm 15 still. Still. I'm still 15. So um, I was almost 16, but I was 15. At that point, I had realized that he wasn't going to change. This was entire situation is getting worse. Um, I eventually go back home after a couple days, 
And I just remember, I remember the day we broke up. My best friend, I really wish she was here for this one, even though I know she would not even be able to handle it because she'd start crying. But the day that we broke up, that was probably the biggest awakening at that point in my life. Mm -hmm. So again, party house, everybody's at my house. My mom's at work. Um, My dad's not around. And who knows how long my boyfriend had been up, but he had said something like really derogatory to me. And I was like, I can't, like, I just can't, you need to move on. Like, uh, this isn't my life. He was not having it. So he pushes me into my mom's bedroom and we keep arguing and it progressively is getting worse. And he locked the door behind him. Now my best friend, Amber is there. Um, she wasn't really part of a lot of the things that happened mm-hmm. back then, but she happened to be there that day. Mm-hmm. And so we're a handful of our other friends. Now so they could hear us screaming at each other in my mom's room, but then he started slapping me. And then next thing you know, he had me on my mom's bed and he was choking me and I couldn't breathe. And my best friend and my other friend were trying to break the door down. Mm-hmm. They were trying to break the door down. Now, eventually they get the door open and my mom had this little tiny bathroom on um, attached to her bedroom. And I ran in it really quick and I tried to lock the door and he pushed himself in there mm-hmm. um, and then slammed the door behind him. Now she had one of those um, really thin mirrors on the back of the door, like a long oh, yeah. mirror on the back of the door. So when he slammed it, it shattered and went on to the floor. And I'm just telling him like, it's done, we're over. I don't want anything to do with you anymore. You need to move on. Like, I can't, I can't. Right. And he just snaps and he picks up a piece of this broken mirror that's on the floor and he puts it to his wrist and he's like, oh, you don't love me anymore? And I'm like, no, and I want you out of my house. And he just starts slicing himself all over. And I'm screaming and at this point, my best friend and my other friend had broke down my mom's bedroom door and now they're trying to break down the bathroom door and I'm screaming in there because there's blood everywhere and I'm afraid he's going to do something to me to the point where I'm feared for my life and my best friend I think you should have been way before now (laughs) my um my best friend with all of her strength pushed the door open broke it down pushed it open and pushed my boyfriend who was barefoot right over all this broken glass Mm -hmm. I bolted I was out ran out of the bedroom went into my bedroom at 15 years old I already had a bag packed a backpack packed in case this ever happened I was that aware of the situation I was that scared of the situation grabbed the backpack went out jumped out my bedroom window and just booked it down the street and just started running I didn't know where I was running to I didn't know where I was going I didn't know anything and I could hear my best friend running after me, screaming. Mm -hmm. So I stopped. She caught up to me. One of the guys that was at my house came and picked us up, and they took us to her house, who was on the other side of the valley. So we went to her mom's house. And if you would have seen my house, because remember, she pushed him over that mirror, and it it sliced open the bottom of his feet, both of his feet. It looked like a murder scene in my house. Like, there was blood everywhere. Um, I finally get a hold of my mom. I'm like, he has to go. Everybody has to go. I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. And my mom's 
on her hands and knees trying to figure out what is going on in her house with her 15 year old daughter. And I told her everything and she's on her hands and knees scrubbing blood out of the carpet. Now, my boyfriend went crazy, went in my bedroom and started writing things all over mirrors and walls in his own blood all over my bedroom. Now, at this point, I already knew I was done. Wasn't going back until everything was back to normal. Which you still don't even know what that is. I don't know what normal is. Um, But I go back and he moved on um, and I tried to get my life as back together as I possibly could. Now, was I still an addict? I was. I was still an addict. My dad was an even bigger addict. The circle I was part of um, definitely stayed the same because if you keep yourself in situations, and this is really what I've based all of my sobriety um, since the end of all of my usage, if you don't change anything, nothing's going to change with yourself, right? Right. So if I didn't take myself out of any situations or change my behaviors or change anything, nothing was going to change. And I liked my life. I was a party girl. Um, We had the party house. And I just continued it. I continued it for a really long time to the point where eventually the wrong people show up. Um, I got in fights. I got jumped by three girls one time in my backyard. Everything of mine had been stolen twice, twice. Like all of my clothes, someone broke in my house, stole everything that was worth anything at one point, um, even my mom's stuff. And then a second time later, everything of mine, just mine. So all of my clothes, all of my shoes, jewelry, anything that I had got stolen. And um, I was in a dark place. I was in a really dark place. I cannot imagine. Yeah, at far too young of an age. Now, again, the majority of my family didn't know what was happening, right? My mom put on this front, like everywhere we went. Um, I dropped out of high school. I was an addict. My dad was an addict. Um, We had random people living in our house all the time. But on Sundays, we'd get all dressed up and go to a family function and pretend like everything was okay. I wasn't allowed to talk about how I wasn't in school. I wasn't allowed to talk about who my boyfriend was or why I was so thin or any of this stuff. And your sister's in college. My sister's in college and she's gone. Does Uh, she have any idea you're going through this? Nobody had any idea. It was just the three of us that really knew what was happening at this point. So again, denial with my mom. I can't believe how much drug paraphernalia she would find around my house. And I would just tell her the most BS story about what it was. And she would believe me because, again, she's in denial. She didn't yeah. want to believe right. her 16-year-old girl was doing terrible things while she was at work. So um, it gets to the point where me and my dad now are closer than me and my mom. My mom's starting to really pick up on things and not allowing this life. Starting to say no. And I was to the point where now you, now you can't step in. Now you can't tell me what to do. You, where have you been the last two years while all this other stuff is happening? So I decided to leave. It was my 17th birthday. And um, me and my dad hopped in a car and went on the other side of town, got a hotel room, stayed there for a week, stayed at a, on a couch, another couch for a week. It was like one drug house to another drug house to another drug house before we ended up at a friend of his house um, where my dad slept on the couch and I slept on the floor. And um, 
it wasn't that bad of a situation. It definitely pulled us away from the people we needed to be away from. But at the same time, there were still influences all around us with that lifestyle. So nothing really changed. Just our location changed. And um, we, my dad and I had gone, flew to Arizona for my cousin's, uh, for, to, to spend Thanksgiving with my cousin. And she instantly picked up on what was going on. And she wouldn't let me leave when we were supposed to leave. And she's like, nope, you're staying here. And I'm going to put you in school. And you're going to go back to high school. I'm going to get you a job. And I'm like, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready for this. Yeah, for some type of stability. Yeah, I'm yeah. ready for this. So I stayed. My dad left. So you just call your mom up and say, um, I'm staying here and I'm not coming back? I didn't call my mom at all. So I just let it be. And she didn't really look to find me. Wow. You know, her havoc and craziness and madness wasn't really around her anymore. And I think that she appreciated that a little bit more. So it wasn't like she cared. She cared enough, but at the same time, she wasn't interfering with anything that we were doing. So I stayed in Arizona and my cousin was trying to save me and um, it worked. It worked for a little bit. And I started going back to school. Now, mind you, I'm 17 years old. I dropped out of school when I was in the 10th grade. I had to sign up now being almost 18 years old in the 10th grade. And that was super awkward. Like, yeah. it was hard. Like, why couldn't I just go get my GED? Or why why did I have to be forced to this? And mm -hmm. I think my cousin was trying to somewhat teach me a lesson of you make bad decisions yeah there's consequences right. with that so now here you're 18 and you're in the 10th grade like that was the bed that you made honey well um i got a job at a radio station and i actually started this whole journey that i i really wanted to be a dj when i was growing up so like howard stern was super popular i would listen to him all the time all of a sudden i wanted to focus on broadcasting and the high school that I was with was really cool because it had a um, vocational college that I went to like my basic classes at the beginning of the day. And uh -huh. then I got on a bus and then they took us to this vocational college and I had broadcasting for mm -hmm. the next half of the day. And I ended up getting a job at a local radio station, all this really cool stuff. And um, I was kind of living my best life out there thinking that this was all the right decisions. Well, I met a girl that I worked with at the um, radio station. And this is this is when you know if things are if you really how do i explain it so if you're not ready for change and you don't take yourself out of that situation and everybody you're um around that's that negative influence that nothing's going to happen right yeah i wasn't ready for change even so though I was temptation forced, found I was you forced to it yeah. yeah i was forced to do it even though i wasn't really wanting to do it um and then sure enough this one girl um she does drugs and instantly fell right back into the scene. Instantly. Like, it's like I didn't even skip a beat. And by the summer, I had turned 18. I'd fallen right back into this dark place. And my dad came and got me for my 18th birthday and took me back to L.A. where I stayed and made really poor decisions for another almost two years before my sister finally realized what's happening. Now, mind you, I've been... An addict since 15. Now I'm 18. I was almost 19. My sister stepped in and she's like, you're moving with me 
to San Diego. And I was like, okay, I'm ready for something new. She's like, you're going to get a job. We're going to get you through school. We're going to figure all this out. Okay, no problem. Got a job. Got another job on top of that because I had to stay busy. I had to keep myself busy. Right. Um, the cool thing was is that my broadcasting little stint in Arizona followed me to San Diego. So I got a job for a really cool radio station down in San Diego. And again, I met a girl. Oh, gosh. I met a girl. And this girl instantly... And I don't know if it was like a vibe I gave off or what, but she instantly knew that she could trust me with her being an addict. And I fell right back in, right back in to the point where my sister kind of made me leave her house. She didn't want to deal with it anymore. I moved in with this girl across town. Um, I'm working three jobs. They all had a purpose. My jobs all had a purpose. I was, you would never look at me and think that I was a drug addict. You really wouldn't. I was a very functional drug addict. Um, I slept every day. That was never an issue for me. But um, I had to keep myself busy all the time. So I had three jobs. Um, I worked at a pizza place. So the pizza place, every day that I worked, I got a meal. Okay. So I got my own pizza, salad, soda, whatever I wanted. I worked for the radio station. I was just like, that's what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And then I got this third job working for a security company that did like events in town. And um, we're going to do a whole nother podcast about that job because that job literally served one purpose and (laughs) it was an amazing experience. But um, I had to work like golf tournaments and um, some concerts, just like local sporting events mostly. So everything had a purpose. Well, the pizza one, that's what fed me. Um, the regular job that I had at the radio station that paid my rent and supported my habits. So I had a budget every week because you got paid every week of how much money I needed to pay for my rent. And I put my rent money aside. I put my drug money aside. And then I put like my food, cigarettes, whatever I was drinking, any of that aside. So I had it all broken down and I made it work. I fought so hard with this girl that I live with. Um, at some point, at one point, my dad ended up moving in with me and living on the floor of my bedroom that I was renting. And he was still in the circle. And he was done. And he one day packed up everything. Him and his girlfriend, both of them were living with me in the, on the floor. Of with, this, my... with the same chick from the radio station? Yes. The same girl from the radio station. I rented a room. She lived in a trailer park in San Diego. And my room was like an add-on. And the craziest part about it is she had two small children. And their room was on the other side of the sliding door. That wasn't a sliding door. It was a foldable door. So it was like one of those plastic foldable doors. That'll be a little bit further in my story right now. But um, that was my room. And my dad and his girlfriend, all of us drug addicts, Stayed in that room for like, I think it was like three weeks before my dad finally packed up everything in his car and took off. I didn't know where he went. I didn't know anything. Kind of left me there. Um, I get a call about a month later that um, he moved to this little town in Oregon and that him and his girlfriend camped all the way up the California coast and in Oregon and certain places around lakes in Oregon until they found this little rental that they could afford. And he had stopped using, which I never thought was ever going to happen. They had cleaned up. She had got a job at a local grocery store. 
They were barely making it, but they were making it. So he just one day just woke up and just was ready. And he was done. And I kept thinking, I'm not ready for that. I'm not ready for that. And he's like, you just let me know when you're ready and I will send you money for a ticket. I'm like, okay. Well, remember how I told you that I had that plastic door, right? That mm-hmm. separated my room from my roommate's kid's room. My breaking point. So everybody has that breaking point. This was my breaking point. My roommate, she was terrible. Crazy, screaming all the time. Screamed at her kids all the time. Um, so sad just to be so miserable with life. Yeah. And you she, just check out. Yeah. And she was, I just remember, I have the the foldable door shut. And she's screaming at me through it for something. Because she was crazy. For something crazy. And I'm trying to tune it out and I'm trying to sleep. And all of a sudden her cat was in my room and she didn't want to clean the cat box anymore that she had this cat and she didn't want to clean the cat box. So she threw the cat box outside. Now I'm trying to sleep, trying to ignore my screaming roommate. Um, And her cat poops on me in my bed. Oh my God. And that was it. Like that's what I... That was your. That was my. That was light my, bulb. Moment. I just hit rock bottom. A cat just took a crap on me while I'm sleeping, while I have this meth head screaming at me through this foldable door as I'm living in a room in a trailer in San Diego, and I was done at that moment. I called my dad later that afternoon. Um, I said, "Send me the money." He sent me money, enough money for me to get a one-way ticket on the Greyhound I packed up everything I possibly could because you're going to take two bags left everything else there got a ride from my roommate's boyfriend who actually was a decent human being um, and I really hope he ended up okay in the long run she didn't kill him because I could have <laughs> seen that happening um, but he gave me a ride to the Greyhound and I got on a bus no money I had an apple I had a Nutrigrain bar and I had a bottle of water 28-hour ride to Bend, Oregon, where my dad picks me up, and all of a sudden I get off the bus, and it's like I could smell the pine trees. Yeah. I could smell the fresh air. You could drink. He took me to the cutest little – he had this cute little townhome, um, all furniture that they had gotten at yard sales mm-hmm. over the last few months. And it just it just – changed me like instantly like instantly this is where I want to be this is what I want to do this is where I want to be in my life um and I knew that I never wanted what I had just walked away from ever again in my life and when I tell people that I was an addict um they always say well what got you clean well what got me clean was my rock bottom like I never wanted to be that person again do those things that I had to do I never wanted to do that ever again and I didn't go go to rehab and I never talked really about it ever again in my life I just disconnected from everything and everyone that I knew that did drugs so I mean you had multiple opportunities in a positive um nurturing environment Mm -hmm. to make that choice right but it was almost like you had to go full circle back to your dad do you think that the knowledge or the influence of just knowing that he was living that lifestyle was something that you held on to. Most definitely. Yeah. It was, at that point, it was all my friends, 
everybody that we hung out with. Like it was a full circle of this was our environment and there was no way around it because that was my parent. Right. And that those were the things like where he lived and like these are things that happened on a daily basis. This was this was our life. Drugs w- were our life. Because it seems like everywhere you went, there was a new person that came in that sucked you right back in. Yeah. So when you when you got to Oregon, how did you stay away from that? Like it was like nobody that person just never came back. Like you just you know it was like so every the, new it, town the there was a person. Is, there there's always going to be a person. Yeah. Right? There's always going to be a person wherever you go. Um, I had just figured in my heart, not figured, known in my heart that I was done. Like I was done. I couldn't do it anymore. So. I slept for like six months. I think I slept for like six months before I got my shit together and got a job and started working, got myself enrolled. I went to go enroll in a an adult school mm-hmm. and so I can get my high school diploma. And we sit there I'm with the teacher and she's looking at me and she has me do this GED pretest and she's just like, why? Why are you forcing yourself to get a diploma? I'm like, because I, I'm going to get a high school diploma. And she's like, okay, well, if you want to do a high school diploma, you need X amount of credits because this is what you ended up with and you need all of this. She's like, this is going to take you two years at this point. I'm 20. I'm 20 years old. And I'm like, what? Two years? And she's like, you just did the GED pretest. And she's like, you pretty much aced it. She's like, you're not dumb. And and I already knew I wasn't dumb. And I always did well in school. It was just... I had other things to do than go to high school. Like, and my crowd, nobody was in high school with my crowd. So it was just easy for me to kind of walk away from that. So she told me to just take my GED instead. And I did. And I passed it with full colors. But I met a girl in this class my very first day. And she was, I thought she was cool. She seemed cool. And at this point, I'd lived there for like six months, maybe four months. I didn't know anybody yet. I didn't have any friends. I needed to have a friend. Yeah. Not just hang out with my dad and his girlfriend. So um, she invites me over to her house. And I packed up a bag. She's like, you can just spend the night. And I'm like, awesome. Sounds great. I pack up a bag. Um, I grab a 12-pack of beer. I go to her house. And I'm there for like two hours before I realize what's happening. And sure enough, she's one of those people I don't want to be around. She's definitely has people coming over to her house who I could tell. I could read people like a book. Instantly, I'm like, nope, this isn't where I want to be. These are not the friends that I want in my life. And I called my dad up and it was like one o'clock in the morning at that point. And I said, you need to come and pick me up and you need to come and pick me up right now. And he did. He drove clear across town. And that was the first time that you pulled yourself out of the situation yep. before it happened because i knew i was done like i just knew i was done i had put on 40 pounds and slept for all these weeks and months and i just knew that i was not going to continue that lifestyle anymore this little tiny town bend oregon changed my life for the best it could have possibly been and i stuck with it like i stuck with it I never went back and never spoke to that girl again. Um, If anybody else came along my path, which I ended up working for some great companies there and making a really amazing group of friends when I was there. If I came across one of them and they were doing drugs, I just walked away from that. Mm -hmm. Like I walked, I, I locked them out of my life. Right. Just because I couldn't be around them. I couldn't. I will always be an addict. Like I could think of times, I could think of moments in my life. 
I just remember one time someone explaining something, and this is probably way too much information, but it was called a hot rail. And um, somebody was talking about doing a hot rail and it literally made my mouth water. Like made my mouth water. It took me right back to that place four years before of doing these things. And I had to like walk out of the room. Like I don't even want to hear it. Like I don't want, I will always be an addict. I'll always have a want, not necessarily a want, but temptation. Yeah. And and I just choose to not be around it Mm -hmm. at this point. And that is the only thing that's kept me sober now. And I've been sober for 23 years, which is crazy. Never once have I touched it again. I walked away from it that day in San Diego and I never, never looked back. Now, Bend, Oregon, again, changed my life. Um, I ended up doing some really amazing things there. And we're going to continue on with that part tomorrow because that's a whole nother part of my story. But yeah, that was my childhood. Well, like what emotional holes do you think that you had that that opened you up to be that person? And, you know, at 15, you were living like a nightmare of a life. But it wasn't a nightmare in my eyes. It wasn't a nightmare. It was everything that I wanted to be and everything I wanted to do at that moment. I didn't know anything else. You know, I didn't have my mom was never around. My dad was an addict. um, And eventually my entire circle was a group of addicts. So I didn't think I was missing out on anything. Mm -hmm. It was just part of normalcy for me. But to go to such a dark place, I think it was more a of a situation of being accepted um, in a group situation. Mm -hmm. Not that I'd never had friends. I always had friends. I always had, but when my parents started to separate and my, this new circle that had come into my life, it was just like wanting to be part of everything. Mm -hmm. You know, I never would have picked up a straw and put it up to my nose if it wasn't for my boyfriend's aunt. And her saying, like, oh, it's the cool thing to do, pretty much. Like, we're cool. And I did. I thought that they were cool. I thought, and I kind of wanted to be cool just like them. It wasn't that I had a hole, that I was missing something anywhere. But I definitely wanted to be accepted. Because at that point, I'd lost my mom. I lost my dad. I lost my sister when she moved away for college, who was my very best friend. Um, And needing, I just needed something else. And I found it really easy. Because you have boys right now, twin boys, that are coming into that age where your life spiraled out of control. Yeah. Yeah. I think about that every single day. Yeah. And how I've raised them every single day. My kids will never have the opportunity to get away with the things that I got get, got away with because I will never let that happen. I will never allow things to come into my home that shouldn't be there. I will never allow them to miss school. It, it will never be okay for them not to go to school. Right. But, you know, I mean, there, there's still so much um, that they could get into without having major signs today, you know? And so have you been really open with them kind of about your journey and the consequences of life and just the hardships to give them st- – awareness as to what could happen if they made the wrong decisions or if they got involved with the wrong crowd at school to keep them motivated, you know, to just be solid in who they are so that they don't feel the need to fit in. 
Well, that's the one thing I think I always am with my boys is 100% honest. Like, I make sure they understand where I came from. Yeah, I'm the same what way. What I've done. I'm the exact same way. Like, you guys have to understand how hard, because kids these days, they don't really have to work. My kids actually have to work very hard for everything that they get. But usually everything's just handed to them, mm-hmm. right? Without any consequences. I'll never forget when I was growing up and my mom, I had no value of money whatsoever. And I wanted to go shopping and she was just like, Jennifer, I don't have any money. And I was like, well, you have a checkbook. So let's go shopping. Like I didn't understand that that money came from somewhere. Now my kids, if they want something, they have to earn it. I'm a single parent. I have to provide everything. The roof over our head, the food that we eat, the baseball games that they want to play, the guitar lessons that they want to do. Now, I never want to say no to my kids for certain things because they're good kids. I keep up with their schoolwork. I'm going through their phones on a regular basis to make sure because it's so easy, I think, these days with this little electronic device in their hand. Oh, yeah. To just get lost. And be secretive. And and it's not that I don't trust my kids. It's that I'm not going to give them an opportunity to mess up. Right. You don't trust the the unknowns out there that are influencing your Absolutely. kids. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. So I always am honest with my children. Um, and the nice thing is at this point, they're always honest with me. And they have each other's back, which they're twins and right. they're so opposite. But they have each other's back on so many things that it's like I might get wind of something here and there. And when I find out that like one stood up for the other, it just like melts my heart. And I'm like, yeah. I, I'm doing it right. Like right. I'm doing it. It's actually all working out. And you don't think it's going to work out because of my childhood or where I came from and the things that I did at far too young of an age. If I go through and I still have Facebook friends. So Facebook, I guess um, it's like the MySpace now. Oh. Like people talk about Facebook. They're like, who still has Facebook? I still have Facebook. And <laughs> I use Facebook to stay in touch with certain people that I went to junior high school with, elementary school with, that I was in Girl Scouts with and for till forever. Um, but there's a couple people on there that were part of that dark circle I was in. And from there, you can really kind of geek out on it for a minute and go and like do some investigating of where, who's who, or I could pull up a picture of my old boyfriend. You'd be like, you shut your mouth. That is not your old boy. I'm like, this, this is the one like neck tattoos, face tattoos, been in prison, probably his whole adult life. Like in and out. Um, you talk about behavior and patterns. Um, the last I heard is that he was dating a friend of mine's sister. And he beat her up to the point where he broke her arm. We're talking, this is 30 years later. Right. So history just repeats itself in situations like that. Again, if you don't take yourself out of that situation, you keep that same circle. Mm -hmm. You do those same things. Nothing is ever going to change. I know. And I've read somewhere that you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. So if you're setting like mega goals, but you're hanging out with yes people or, you know, people that live in mediocrity and then, then that's what is going to happen with your own personal self. Um, It would be really hard to, pull all of your friends to the top when they're not motivated to live that same disciplined lifestyle. So, I mean, that is something too that I really talked to my oldest daughter about because she's such a go-getter, but she's off at college. So it's like, you've got to, um, 
you really do have to protect yourself. And I'm really big with boundaries, yeah. um, personal boundaries, and and not allowing people the freedom to own your emotional strengths yeah. and wreck your emotional self and put you on a roller coaster. So, wow, like you kind of mastered this. Yeah. yeah, I had to. I mean, I really didn't have any yeah. other choice. I was either going to stay, end up in jail, dead or broken, or move on with my life. Because if anybody met you today, they would think you were from... Oh. Like you're this perfect suburbia baseball mom. I most know, definitely she, am not. She's and that's why when I tell yeah, when just, I tell people my past, they're like, no way. I'm like, yeah. They're like, you were addicted to meth. Yeah, for five years I was actually addicted to meth. But you have all of your teeth. <laughs> that's what they always say. You have oh, all of your teeth. And you would never like you look at me, you would never think I have the past that I have. I mean, and it goes on, and there could be stories. I could tell this over and over and over again. And I remember the first time I told my story about my abusive boyfriend was to um it was to a classroom of 120 students of my previous employer and um it was um national uh what what was what is it called um domestic abuse appreciation month or something like that oh, or whatever yeah. like that was awareness month not mm -hmm. appreciation nobody appreciates that no but um, awareness month and we had a group come in and they like talked about the signs they told stories like of things to be prepared for now a lot of those students because um, it was a cosmetology school um, were female between the ages of 18 to 22 was it too much for some of them yeah it was some of them some of them had to walk out of the room because of maybe it hit home. It hit home. Yeah. Or um, maybe it brought up things from the past that they remembered with their parents, right. whatever it was. But when this group came in and talked, when they left, I don't know what it was, but all of a sudden I had this courage to tell my story. And at this point, I was 34 years old. And I sat there and I cried through it for an hour and a half telling him my story of just about my ex-boyfriend and everything we went through and all the fights and all the slaps and all the punches and the final day that we broke up. And when I was done, some people complained actually to the school owner saying it was too much, like she shouldn't have gotten into that. But six, six different girls went into our school, like counselor's office mm -hmm. and were breaking up with their boyfriends that day. Well, it's one thing for an organization to come in and give you statistics and awareness. It's another thing for somebody that, that you've grown respect for an appreciation for them to tell a personal story that where you have a heart connection yeah with that person there's an added strength within that yeah so oh that's that's amazing Jen. I know. so but i mean like out of the 100 students that 120 students that were in there 20 of them maybe thought it was too much or inappropriate conversation but six it changed six girls lives that day that's massive that's so massive right yeah six six girls literally walked in there and were like oh my gosh i can't and what's like, so sad is the the girls that probably complained probably had a picture perfect childhood and they could not relate yeah. they didn't understand the importance of your testimony yeah well i ended up making it a yearly thing where i would bring in this organization every october i would sit there and tell my story and that's really where a lot of me doing this podcast came from was between stories of my childhood, growing up, 
having an abusive boyfriend at far too young of an age, escaping mm-hmm. this terrible path that I was on. So what was the moment myself? in Oregon, you know, like driving down the highway, the windows rolled down, like what was that moment when you just just said, I'm so proud of myself, you know? And you can, it really just sank in that you were an overcomer yeah. of this in this nasty chapter in your life. I think the moment for me was, um, I had already met my husband by then. I mean, it had been several years that I'd been there, but um, we had just got married and I had this big dream wedding, right? That I always thought about, but never thought would actually happen. But right after we got married, we bought our home. And I had, like, I had bought a home mm-hmm. from everything I went through and everything that I did. And you were all pretty these much bad homeless. Things. Yeah. Like, hopping around on people's couches with your dad. With my dad. And here I am. I just bought my first home with my husband. And I just remember sitting out back and we had this little swing and just sitting on it and just enjoying the quietness. The smell, the I can't explain the smell. Like yeah. the smell of Oregon, it literally smells like you're camping every day. That's what I always say. It smells like camping because people still have wood burning stoves in their house and all the pine trees. Like it just smells fresh and just sitting there and enjoying that moment. And it was just like, wow, I've really come a long way from what the statistics were. Right. Right. And again, going back to that Facebook and seeing those things, I mean, I know that I showed you a picture of my old boyfriend and you'd see like literally still in prison has a wife that does visits him or whatever. But all of these people, none of them have really changed. None of them have done climbed out, climbed out and done amazing things with their lives or changed to the best of their abilities. They're all kind of stuck because they all just stayed there. Right. And not that they do drugs. A lot of them, most of them have sobered up at this point. But because they were still stuck in it for so long, it's just like at this point, that's all that they knew. L.A. was all that they knew. L.A. was such a small part of my life. And people are like, oh, my gosh, you're from L.A. And I'm like, yeah, I'm from L.A. And they're just like, that's so amazing. Actually, it wasn't. Like, it wasn't. I mean, I did some cool things along the way. I saw some really cool things along the way. But Oregon was such, I mean, Oregon was the life changer. Oregon was what I want to talk about with people. So is that where you feel like your roots really were? Yeah. That was the first time you like feel like you had planted roots was in Oregon. Yeah, absolutely. Because I had stability. Right. I had love. Um, I had my husband's family (laughs) was amazing. And I had this peace of mind where I wasn't afraid of anything. And you never had to run from something. Never again. Never again. So, well, Jen, thank you for sharing your story and thank you for listening and the purpose of what we're trying to accomplish here and taking our journeys and hoping to motivate other people or encourage them to either make a change or embrace their own personal story to help their circle, people that are around them. Yeah, absolutely. And know that you're not alone. Uh, I think far too many people think that this is only happening to them and it's not. Um, Reach out to your friends, talk, get, be be part of a group maybe um, where they can discuss things. Get out there on the internet. The internet is full of places for people to have platforms to discuss things like this. Like there's plenty of people out there in the world that have been through whatever it is that you're going through that have been there. And they're either going through it or they went through it 
or maybe it's even about to happen, but you're not alone. You're definitely not alone. You think that it's only going to happen to you. This only, this is never, but as many told times as I've told this story, hearing from a person or a student or something like it touches home more than you want to even realize right. for others. And that's what we're trying to do here is to make sure that you guys as our listeners understand that growth is possible. Yes. And you can overcome anything. Change is most definitely possible. It's needed. Um, and again, you're not alone. So I hope you guys um, enjoyed this podcast. It's We're going to continue it on because, again, there's a whole nother, the second half of my life that got me to the 40 years. And um, hopefully we can get that knocked out in the next couple days before oh, you yeah. leave. Part two with Jen. Part two with Jen, the story of my life. But we want to thank you guys for listening to 40 Years to Freedom. Um, I love your face. It's so nice to see you across. Me the. Too. I'm glad we got to do this one in, in person. Yeah, there's no way I wanted to do this on the on a camera yeah yeah it made me feel even though there's someone in here listening it just made me feel (laughs) it made me feel like i don't know more open to talking about all of well yeah i mean it's hard to to dish out your dirt but when you have the purpose of helping others there is um a sense of healing when it's your own personal story yeah and you feel like it you know, it's actually going to make a difference. Yeah. Yeah. And it made a difference in my life and my family's life. Like I take care of my mom now and like this full circle. And my dad is, he's still good. Like he's still trailer for part two. Yeah. Yeah. You guys listen in for part two of this, um, of my journey on this beautiful place we called earth. And hopefully, hopefully this kind of woke up some of you. And some of you guys maybe realize that you're not alone and things, everything happens for a reason. And maybe that's the reason you're listening to our podcast right now. So we want to thank you again, 40 Years to Freedom with Jen and Anna V. All right. We'll be back. We'll be back soon. Thank you guys. <laughs>